everybody. Welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And today is March 24th. It's a Thursday, and I apologize uh, profusely, immensely, for uh, getting this podcast out two days late. Um, But um, I'll get to the reason why here in a minute. But first... If this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here. We're honored that you uh, have chosen to give us a sh- give us a try. We encourage you to listen to the whole show just at least once because we never know what we end up talking about, and that's the whole vibe of the show. Molly and I are married. We've been married for 13 years. We have four kids, ages 11 through 3, and we kind of talk about anything that really Molly wants to talk about, but nothing is ever pre-planned. Right. You know, I keep a I keep a list in my bullet journal of things that might be good topics. There you go. But sometimes then, we don't cover all of the any of no. them because Jr. derails me <laughs> with conspiracy theories. No, I did not bring I, my tinfoil no, hat today, I, though, so we no. can't talk conspiracy theories. We have a conspiracy theory episode a little bit ways back. But anyway, <laughs> so right, so jumping right in because um, most of you know we have judo on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and it's. 3.13, so we can get in a 45-minute show before we have to have dinner. We have an early dinner on judo nights. Um, so, my parents moved in. They are building out uh, our detached garage into a uh, an auxiliary dwelling unit, a mother-in-law apartment. Um, a nice one, but um, a mother-in-law apartment nonetheless. So, there's been a lot of... Um, there's just been a lot of stuff going on, mostly with me. I've been back and forth, clearing out garages, trying to organize things, moving things around, and then um, a couple. You know, I've gotten some stuff, um, working on some storage things for the van um, again as well. So it's just been kind of busy and chaotic, chaotic, and all the things. So that's that's why we haven't gotten it done. Um, I think everything with my parents is going smoothly. Uh, last week was a horrible week in in terms of that, and if Molly wants to elaborate, uh, I will. But she will. But we got it all sorted out and worked out, and everything was hunky dory. Yep. Nope. I don't need to elaborate. Um, <laughs> I our kids are currently. My mom is graciously doing the shuttling for our kids' Audubon science class, so that we could be here recording. And Faith is theoretically in our bed taking a nap but she's not the last the second time i checked on her after reading i have so many things i could say right now here because faith is just so special she she wanted to reach i told her to get a couple books she brought down our entire collection of curious george books which i'm not sure why i love curious why we own so much curious george because curious george drives me nuts you know i realized today one of the reasons I've always thought that monkey needs a good spanking and (laughs) and he's so naughty and the man in the yellow hat says you you know George stay here and don't get in any trouble and then the man in the yellow hat walks away, and George, they always use the phrase, could not help himself. A curious little monkey just couldn't help himself. 
and I think our kids love the silly adventures that he goes on, and it's a happy ending because it all tur- it always turns out okay. And I'm like, that monkey should not be getting in that type of trouble. He needs to have firm boundaries, and he needs to have them enforced. Like you see parents all over who are like, get out of the street, honey. Don't play in the street. But you know what happens in Curious George that doesn't happen in real life? He. The problems all work themselves out with no cost. There's ultimately no need for... I mean, I feel like I'm Jesus juking Curious George a little bit. There's a whole... Okay, pause. There's a whole lot of things in Curious George that don't happen in real life. A man well, has right. a monkey like a child. Right. And then the monkey can do all of these man, these human things. No, 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 no. Let's, no. Right, right. But also... Like, you could say that about almost any children's book we love. Like, I just read The Green Ember, and it's it's sword-yielding rabbits. Narnia is talking animals and a lion. Like, like, that's not the problem with the stories. The problem with the stories, even in good children's literature, disobedience or the consequences of living in a fallen world come at a price. Somebody has to pay a price for disobedience and even in good children's stories you learn through the literature i mean right now i was just reading so sd smith author of the green ember series which you really need to start reading jr i will i'm in the middle of harry potter i know there's so many books in the world and i've gotten a pile of little time anyway um speaking of which look at this pile of books i have on the arm of the chair here yeah, I saw that when you walked in. I was like, hmm, it should be an interesting show. She's got a lot on her mind. I know. I keep having podcasts <clears throat> recommended to me, too. Your parents have both recommended a Breakpoint podcast on boys. Yes. I've been. It's been recommended to me, too. And I haven't had a chance to listen to it because I'm still working my way through, and I want to get back to this in a few minutes, a Breakpoint podcast that Anna recommended on our Telegram channel by Kelly Kopik who is a professor at Covenant College, and he just wrote this book that my mom gave you for your birthday last week. But um, anyway, good children's literature still teaches you the value of self-sacrifice and that, that choices have consequences. I mean, even think about, like, Frog and Toad. The, I see this. Are you familiar with the Frog and Toad books? Yeah, we read them up at the cabin. Yeah, so classic ones, you know, children's books. And I can't remember which one is prone to depression, if it's Frog or Toad. I haven't read Frog. Oh, I, mean, I don't know. If, if I'm sure a lot of you guys know Frog and Toad, classic children's stories. But if you think about it, you guys, one of you guys will remember which one is prone to depression. But the other one serves his friend at a cost to himself. So, for example, in Curious George, there's a story about him at the ice cream shop, and Faith loves it because he makes this giant ice... I had specifically asked her today while I was reading to her before her nap. I said, why do you love this story so much? And she's like, because it's ice cream. And there's George at the Chocolate Factory. Because it's chocolate. And he... He comes away, he makes this giant ice cream sundae. Well, he wastes a ton of ice cream in the meanwhile... And there's never, there's, I mean, if you think about it, the the man, the ice cream shop owner, he just absorbs the cost and there's no talking about the cost. George and the man in the yellow hat get away with a happy ending. 
Well, I guess the Mr. Herb, the owner of the <laughs> store, he um, he. There's all sorts of things about this man and his monkey and <laughs> his happy endings. But the, is it really like a? Never mind. Did you know the story of Curious George though? How this story came about? I can't remember the whole thing. No. There's a there's a children's book about the people who started the story of Curious George, and it actually started. They were. They were Jews who were running away from the Nazis. Is it's mm. this husband and wife couple who started mm. Curious George, and it actually started as a story about a giraffe family in a jungle somewhere, and there was a monkey that interloped with the giraffe family somehow. You can get the mm. original books at the library, but and then it it took on a life of its own, and most of the stories now are produced by the estate, and some of them are animated cartoons that are then made into yeah. children's books. Um, but, but so it's, it's actually very interesting to learn how this Jewish refugee couple created this whole aura around a man with his pet monkey. But, um, in, yes. so the Mr. Mr. Herb is the owner of the ice cream <clears throat> shop in the story that faith loves and George wants to experience scooping ice cream. So he scoops this giant bowl of ice cream and mixes all these flavors. And essentially, the man has to throw them away. The happy ending at the end of the story is all these people see George in the window of this downtown shop building a huge ice cream sundae. And they all rush in and they all order ordered their you know sundaes and make up, give him all these new customers and all this profit. But it, it you just never... Kids reading the story, maybe kids like it because there's no there's no cost, there's no consequences. It drives me nuts reading them. And I just made that realization today that not only does George need need boundaries and discipline when he violates those boundaries, but he also the stories, the happy ending in the stories is so shallow because it's always like you know, George ruined all of these chocolates in the chocolate factory, but he saved some in boxes and all his mischief always ends up with a really lame version of redemption. It's not actually like somebody's paying a price and there's consequences that then have to be reckoned with because of his disobedience. And I don't think it's too Jesus jukey to say that because there's a lot of good children's literature where where you can learn a solid moral lesson without it being moralistic, just because it follows more the nature mm-hmm. of how the world works. Kind of like the kind of you and Curious George are like my relationship with the Bernstein Bears. Yeah. I, I despise don't... the Bernstein Bears. Yeah. I will admit I don't love the Bernstein Bears, but every now and then I've used some of their moralistic lessons to hammer something home with the kids. Uh, so Good anyway, job. so I check on Faith while I'm waiting for her to fall asleep because I'm hoping that she'll take a nap so that she's not wreaking havoc in our house. Just her, well, you and I are. Is that thump? Did that, you think that thump upstairs with that my was dad, dad or Faith? That was your dad. Um, anyway, I go in to check on her and she has changed clothes because there's a pile of clean clothes at the end of my bed. She's wearing a headband like a 1980s aerobics instructor, and she has found a pile of children's sticker labels. So they're the sort of stickers that you would stick on the back of an envelope with happy messages on them. She has wrapped all 10 of her fingers with these sticker labels like Band-Aids. 
And I walk in. Oh, and she's got a piece of paper and she's practicing. She's through, you guys. So I'm very proud of her for knowing a lot of her letters and be able to write them because I haven't taught them to her. But she's practicing her letters on our cream colored comforter. So I didn't tell you this, and it's going to be fun when I tell you over the show. So when I went in to wash my hands and put lotion on, and you said, hey, be quiet, Faith is sleeping. (laughs) She was at your desk practicing her letters and drawing (laughs) pictures. Dang, look. I'm like, you better get in bed right now. And she kind of just, her eyes got really wide. Is that why when I went in there, I saw the letters. The letters were on my bed, on the bed when I went in there looking for this Kelly Copic book. And she's completely, her head is under under the covers and she's crying. Is she crying? (laughs) (laughs) All I did was look at her and go, you better get into bed right now. And she's like, (laughs) (laughs) because this is not Curious George, this is the real world and disobedience has consequences. Ideally, if mom's Uh, not too busy and distracted. Yeah. Anyway, she's super special. You guys, she also, we had a really sad thing last weekend. Our next door neighbors who have had a black lab mutt who looks almost exactly like our black lab mutt named Maui. She got hit by a car and our neighbor was out of town. And I didn't realize this. She texted me and said, hey, the gal who lives next to this busy street just texted me. And there's a black lab that got hit by a car and is, I didn't realize was dead. But and she said, "Is is it your dog? Do you have your dog around?" And I was like, "Yeah, he's sitting right next to me." Phew! And I didn't realize. I assumed that she was home, and that her dog was also fine, and that's why she was asking yep. me. Same. And then come to find out a few minutes later, it was their dog, and she's out of town, and they're like us. They're dog lovers, and so it was very sad for them. And Titus baked them his now famous or semi-famous chocolate giant chocolate chip cookie bar we shaped it into a heart for them and then the girls all i let them stay up past their bedtime because they just spontaneously all started making cards for them and elise drew a rainbow uh and some hearts and wrote a sweet note about how we loved lucy and she was a good dog and lily drew also a rainbow heart Elise's was a rainbow. Lily's was a heart colored in as a rainbow and wrote a nice note in cursive because that's fancy and expresses love for a third grade girl, fourth grade girl. And Faith, Faith drew them a car because <laughs> because their dog got bumped into by a car <laughs> because they are lovely, lovely people who have a great sense of humor. We went ahead and gave them Faith's drawing of a car. <laughs> and, um, anyway, just the, what three-year-olds are the best and the worst. <laughs> oh, man. That was great. Mm. So, anyway, that was super sad, though. We were sad for them. Um, I also wanted to give people an update. If we had recorded this on yesterday, I would have been telling you this for the first time. But I wanted to give people an update on my misfits market order so i got my third order this week and because of how tremendously crazy our last week had been i totally spaced filling out my own order or canceling the order and i think i've told you guys the one thing so far that i have not liked about it is they auto fill your cart up to the minimum shipping amount That way, if you forget and you don't do anything, it automatically ships with $30 worth of stuff plus $8 of shipping. 
And Sunday morning, I get a, we're preparing and shipping your order message. And there was, I couldn't find a way to cancel it and be like, wait a second. So I go in to see what I'm getting as a surprise produce box now. (laughs) And I was like, okay, okay, okay. That's not bad. Like fresh broccoli. That's fine. There wasn't anything outrageously priced. Usually if I'm even in a grocery store, you know, you can get, 99 cents a pound apples, probably not organic ones, and then you can get four ninety nine a pound apples, and I was really hoping I wasn't going to get a pair of apples that were $5 each. I didn't get anything like that. But they did autofill my cart with four different types of potatoes, which I was like, who, who gets this many potatoes in a week? So, and the kind of annoying thing about that is there was a bag of really fun fingerling potatoes and it's not big enough for our family to eat a meal of potatoes with so i'm not sure what i'm gonna do because you don't want to cut up cute little fingerling Mm -hmm. potatoes for cut them up and put them in the air fryer i suppose i could cut them in half and do that and then each person gets like two there you go anyway so i got a celery root which Titus because air fryer. Titus saw the celery root as I was peeling it to put in a soup, and he was like, "What is that?" And I was like, "Well, it's just it's kind of like an old school CSA or Bountiful Baskets thing where they would choose what you got, and you would have to figure out what to do with it." So I figured by putting celery root in soup as though it were a potato, it would mellow out the flavor. And sure enough, the kids had no idea. We had a sausage, a creamy sausage soup for dinner last night that had celery root in it and they didn't know so we're not really enjoying trying new things but we're enjoying the uh nutritional benefit of something that we wouldn't normally have had and the kids actually ate it and some radishes which i've seen on instagram this week probably 10 different posts about tacos that have thin radish slices on them so Maybe we'll have tacos Nothing next really week Nothing really, like, bespoke about that. That's pretty common. I know, but I just... I don't really eat radishes, and the kids don't, but I'm wondering if I were to thinly slice them, if we would put them on tacos. Is it is it a new random fad to put radishes on tacos? I think it's... it's No, I don't think it's a new hmm. random fad, but... What are we having for dinner? I'm really hungry. So, you guys, we're going to Hawaii at the end of April. Thank Jesus, the good Lord Almighty had his hand upon Hawaii and they removed all COVID restrictions and testing things. So, so we was, don't have to get tested. As Molly and... told her dad, I was extra grumpy about that. So we don't have to get tested for any of that stuff. But anyway, so I'm trying still to... still have not removed the airplane mask <clears throat> mandates, but... Well, I can get around that. So it's still dumb, but I can get around it. So they... Um... JR's worried about his physique. Yeah, Is that so where I'm you're trying going? to lose. I'm trying to trim down on some... Uh, on some excess weight so I don't look as dad body since I'm going to be on the beach. But it's also good because the summer's coming and I bicycle. And if you've ever tried to haul a lot of weight up a mountain on a bicycle, it's no fun. So when you're lighter, it's easier. Hmm. I'm going to have a dad bod for Hawaii. I, just, I can't get around that. I am who I am. Oh, I like your dad bod. Please <laughs> keep it. Gross. I love holding the folds. All right. Speaking of Speaking of not liking our bodies, Ed Welch has a book on shame, you guys. And it's called A Small Book About Why We Hide. It's sort of expensive for a small book. It's hardcover, and on Amazon, it's seventeen ninety nine right now. 
I know this because I've sent the link to it to several people. Mm. It is really good. In fact, JR, I feel like you and I should read a chapter of it at bedtime together because I think that you would really like it and I think it would be a good way to close our day together. Um, I was going to read an excerpt of it when we when I was planning for us to record on Tuesday because I had just read the night before. It's a daily thing, literally one, two, three and a half pages uh, about per day of small, I don't know, is this a six, six by four book? How big is this? Five by seven, six by four? Anyway, small book. No, it's bigger than, it's bigger than six Let's say five by seven. It's bigger than five by seven. Okay. So I was going to read an excerpt of it from day three, because that's as far as I'd gotten. But then I read day four and I was like, well, day four is really good too. And then I read day five and I was like, well, day five is really good too. So I think I'll go back to day three and read an excerpt of day three to it. He starts, the thing I love about Ed Welch, and I've, I know I've talked about Ed Welch before, because he, he was one of my favorite professors at Westminster, because he could take a topic that seemed super hard to get your head around in a, in the counseling sense, in the biblical counseling sense, and he would normalize it. So he's, one minute in the fall, I remember this very clearly because I, I didn't realize he'd actually started the lecture because he's start he's talking about how it's Halloween and there's a bowl of butterfingers next to the door, and he's like, I cannot stop myself. Every time I walk by the door, I'm grabbing a butterfinger, and then I'm yeah, butterfingers are amazing. I'm going down into my my home office, and I'm like, well, I may as well just grab a couple of butterfingers. I'll just keep them on my desk, and then I've eaten them all before I even realize what I'm doing. And then I want more, <laughs> and I go back upstairs for more. He's like, I I can't help myself. I just I see the butterfingers, and I ha- I just automatically reach in. It does. There's not even a thought process to it. It's just automatic. And then literally, he seamlessly transitions from talking about how he can't help eating butterfingers to this woman he's counseling with a cocaine addiction. And he, he basically, in this incredibly masterful way, says, we're all on an addiction spectrum. And my inability to control my cravings, where the Butterfingers are concerned, puts me on a level playing field with the woman with the cocaine addiction. Because it's, it's on a spectrum. And I'm on the spectrum with her. And what will help me, what what help God offers to me with my out of control inability to say no, if you guys can hear that clicking, that's Maui who came into the studio with me and now wants out. And that's how he communicates doors to us as he clicks his toenails against the door. He basically says, and now thinking back to the, the science of brain addiction guy that I was listening to earlier now i'm rethinking this as i'm speaking but i think it still is relevant and correct but he he then says what does god say about desires that control us rather than us having the self-control to control our desires because the way that god ministers his grace to me and speaks to me 
with Butterfingers is then the grace that I offer the woman with a more serious, more harmful addiction. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking down to her. I'm sharing the grace that I've received with her. So I've always loved Ed Welch for his ability to normalize human experiences in and translate them into language that scripture then speaks to. And so in this book about a small book about why we hide, how Jesus rescues us from insecurity, regret, failure, and shame, I I would be willing to say and make a pretty strong bet that any person who has a heartbeat who picks up this book will be able to identify with, with what's on the pages. Even if you don't walk around with an overpowering sense of shame or things that would immediately attract you to this book, I think that you would find scripture in here that would speak to some of your experiences. And so, for example, he in part one, he talks about insecurities, fear of people, regrets, and failure. And he says, do you ever feel exposed and inadequate? Have you ever tried to cover yourself in order to avoid the disapproving gaze of others? Have you ever clung to a version of fig leaves, such as resumes, achievements, or particular ability? If so, scripture is about you and to you. And he talks about how any reckless criticism from any person can make us feeling exposed and not enough. And then he goes on to say, do you know anyone who doesn't have insecurities? And even the most highly successful people struggle with this. And uh, we have this weird dual dynamic where we want to fade into the background when we're exposed, but we also want people to think much of us. And so when we're good, we want to be able to amplify what's good about us, but shrink what's bad about us. And yet we're always living with this fear that it's going to be the opposite. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, that people will see something in us that they reject and not see something that we hope that they will admire. But so um, I'm trying to figure out what to read of this, but I think I'm just going to read like two pages. He says, fear and anxiety expose our fragility more than our sin, which I think is super interesting and goes along with the Uh, podcast that Anna had recommended that I wanted to tell you about too. Mm -hmm. But so fear and anxiety expose our fragility more than our sin. The world is a scary place and we are finite and weak people. Our power is limited. Other than our personal faith and obedience, we control very little. Jesus says, fear not little flock. Little flock is a clear reference to our frailty and weakness. Fear and anxiety identify those things that are important to you, things such as acceptance, finances, love, health, and the well-being of those you love. These are best understood as ordinary human desires, which the Lord takes seriously. When these are under siege, we should expect to be anxious. You can expect to be even more anxious as you get older. And this super resonated with me because I've struggled with a lot of anxiety recently, and I I remember the first time... Actually, I went through a lot of... A period of a lot of back pain when I was in seminary. And now that I think about it, that was probably a physical manifestation of anxiety because it was <clears> my last semester 
of seminary. I didn't know what I was going to do with my future. It was the same semester that Addie's husband had died. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to have a peer lose a spouse when you're 24 is shocking and unnerving to everything that you assume life will be like. We also had a classmate commit suicide during finals week in December of that year. And now that I think about all of those things... My back pain was probably a physical manifestation of my anxiety. Mm. And then a couple years later, I had a very stressful period at work and would find myself short of breath. And it took me a very long time to identify that as anxiety. But otherwise, until recently, I never would have really considered myself to be somebody who struggled with anxiety. And so him saying, you can expect more anxieties as you get older, as our families grow we let our love and concerns grow too. Then there are health challenges and job worries. No wonder we are insecure. But Jesus has words of comfort for us, his little flock. Don't be confused by the command, fear not. It sounds like a stern ultimatum, but it isn't. The words are an invitation to trust Jesus as he continually demonstrates his compassion for the poor and powerless. They have much in common with Jesus' words, do not weep, also in the command form. Those words meant that Jesus saw a woman's grief, and he was going to do something about it. So the fearful and anxious come to the compassionate God who is familiar with our weaknesses. Expect to hear some gentle encouragement, and expect him to do something. Speak. If there is anything close to a command about fear in Scripture, it would be this. When you are afraid, and you will be, turn to Jesus. This is God's will in your lives. Your aim is to speak these words in the midst of worries. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Psalm 56.3 Speak your anxieties to him rather than try to solve them, which can lead to even more intense anxiety. Turning to God and trusting him in times of anxiety is a spiritual skill and is less automatic than you might think. And I appreciate, really appreciate him saying that because I feel like as Christians, we think... We've, I mean, we've heard from the time we're little, if you grew up in the church, cast your cares on him because he cares mm-hmm. for you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And on we know what we're supposed to do, and yet we don't do it. Yeah. And so for him to say it's less automatic than you might think, I feel like is a grace to speak out loud the thing that we struggle with. Or one of the things we struggle with. He says, you need to practice it. And with practice, you will be able to turn to Jesus more quickly and in ways that actually erode anxieties. Progress will seem slow. The ways of God are that we gradually grow in meaningful trust and confidence in love, in him and love for him. If anxieties were immediately extinguished, you would turn to him less, which would be for your detriment. So I I also, when he's saying that, with practice, you will be able to turn to Jesus more quickly and in ways that actually erode anxieties. Not only, I think, does it become spiritual practice, but when you think about all the things that we know about neuroplasticity in our brains mm-hmm. and how you know, we talk about the main re- place in my world that we talk about neuroplasticity is with pornography and how you know if you have a pile of dirt and you pour water down it, The next time you pour a bucket of water down it, the water is going to follow the same channels that it went down the first, that it started creating the first time. And those channels get deeper and more pronounced. So you never have, 
you rarely have a situation where water's just going to keep flowing freely in new places every time you do it the previous channels get deeper and more pronounced which is a very similar thing that happens to your brain so when you're watching pornography for example you're training your brain about things things that are going to be erotic for you things that are going to turn you on and those channels get deeper and deeper and it the great the good news is that they're not eternal they create hard habits to break but you can retrain your brain <clears throat> and here he's saying that basically the same thing the science behind it is it's not automatic that you'll turn to god with your anxieties but the more you practice it it's not just creating a habit it's actually creating neural pathways in your brain that reinforce that habit and then at the end he says that <clears throat> that it's it's to our benefit actually that we that it takes time to create that habit it's you know people talk about christian discipline and i think that's the true sense of that phrase christian discipline is is taking the time to read memorize study um, and practice and constantly be aware so you can build those channels and build those mm -hmm. those habits. Yeah, and you have to be deliberate about it. But at the end of those stands a great promise, which he goes into later, which I didn't read, which is Emmanuel. That means that God is with you. This is the promise that encompasses all of God's other promises in Scripture. The Lord is with you. So, anyway... I think you would really appreciate and enjoy this book. I've been, okay. I'm on day five, but you can catch up or we can start over. I think you would appreciate it and other people would too. And there's the, I didn't actually intend for there to be a link here, but there is sort of in Ayanna on our uh, Telegram channel. After listening to the podcast episode where we were talking about why it is... Oh, we never researched what do priests wear on their feet. Shoot. Totally <laughs> forgot about that. Uh, anyway, we had, we had been talking about feet, right? And feet is a sign of creatureliness. Take off your feet because you're on holy ground. Uh, take off your shoes. You can't take off your feet. And the, the seraphim in Isaiah 6 cover their feet. And both angels and humans are are creatures and there's the creator creature distinction there mm -hmm. and she said the the discussion about creatureliness and our human finitude reminded her of a podcast that she'd listened to and it was in it was breakpoint in an interview with kelly Kopic, i think is his name he's a professor at covenant <clears throat> college I will send JR the link to the Breakpoint podcast. It was from March 14th, though, if you are just listening to this and want to look it up on your own. So Breakpoint, March 14th. The title of the podcast is You're Only Human with Kelly Kopic. And he's being interviewed by, about a book that he just published by that title. And he and it's it's a brand new book. And I haven't read it, any of it yet, but the podcast, as as they're supposed to do when they're doing their publicity tour promoting new books, did a really good job of whetting my appetite for it. He, 
He's also done, his wife has had cancer and autoimmune diseases, so he's done a ton of thinking and studying about suffering. But this book explores all the different ways that being human is, how do I say this? There were so many little quotes. I, I listened to it for several days while I was driving around doing errands, and so I didn't have a chance to write down and cohesively think about the snippets of things that he loved that he said. But essentially, he's saying we have to, for our own good and for the good of our relationship with God, recognize the limits of being created beings. So, for example, he said most Christians feel guilty that we're not doing enough for God. That somehow we could always be doing more. We go to bed at night feeling like we haven't done enough for God. And he says, you are assuming more of a God complex than a finite created being complex. Mm. Because God doesn't expect you to have unlimited energy. God doesn't expect you to have unlimited time. Everything about you is limited. And you you have to, yes, you have to steward what you have well, but but having to sleep at night is not a sin. <laughs> and being tired is not a sin. And in fact, recognizing your limits is a way of honoring who God is and how he created you. And he he compares, you know, there was this, the some futuristic talk, you know, about how the world is going to be managed by robots and stuff. And he's like, we actually are treating our bodies as though we're more computer or machine than, than human because mm-hmm. we assume, okay, I've got to, I've got to have fuel. I've got to have sleep to literally just, it's like re plugging in your iPhone at night. You just get the battery charged back up so you can run it down to empty again the next day. And our bodies and our souls are designed for much more than just being run down to empty and then recharged well, overnight. The culture is <clears throat> the pervading, and I think it's probably, you know, you you hear a lot of people talking about, uh, um, uh, what's, the, what's the cultural phrase? Postmodernism. Um, you hear a lot of people talking about postmodernism. We're in a postmodern culture. We're in a postmodern culture. We're in a post... And, I think we're you know, actually post postmodern at this point. Right. Well, what my point is, my point is what is happening in culture right now is the biggest change that I have seen since the advent of uh, cultural change since the advent of postmodernism, which was roughly, you know, the early mid 70s. Um, and it's transhumanism. Yes. It's the idea that um, technology will elevate us to another a level. better than human level yeah better than yeah. human level so transhumanism and that's that is driving so much of uh technological development today it's driving so much of space exploration but the technology piece is it also huge. it also is driving <laughs> it's driving harmful practices against humanity so, yes. well, so there's if the you other, listen yeah, to right. Camille Piglia, who is a, a feminist who cuts against the grain of most feminists, but she's she's you know a, a natural law, which is what Kane of Vox is all about, understanding of human sexuality is like, look, the 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 
reproductive organs of a male and a female are designed to fit together. Male plus male is like putting the two positive ends of a battery together. They don't fit together. They're not designed to fit together. You are half of a reproductive system. Your circulatory system is self-contained in your body. Your digestive system is self-contained in your body. Your nervous system is self-contained in your body. You don't need to be walking around with somebody else doing anything for your heart to pump blood through your body or your body to digest food if you're functioning healthily. Uh, You are not a a complete reproductive system without a complementary partner. Mm -hmm. And... So that's, that's in a lot of ways, the basis for a natural law, which complements the way God designed the world, understanding of why one man and one woman make marriage, because one man and one woman make a family. Camille Paglia is like, look, I agree with you. And you know what? I don't believe that there's a God. I'm God. And so I'm going to use technology to surpass all of that. I'm going to use technology to create babies with multiple parents, more than two parents. I'm going to create, you know, use technology to do whatever I want with to go past the limits of humanity, because I don't think that we're created beings with finite boundaries to what we should do with our humanity. And we're seeing it in, you know, even um, bioethics and... um, and some of the um, biotechnology in, yeah. in the world of, you know, well, we can start doing transplants and replacing these parts with robotic parts or those things. I mean, the whole idea of my whole joke of like nanobots and carbon fiber, titanium knees and super, you know, that's all happening right now. Like what's they're that, testing all this stuff. What's already. that movie we watched not too long ago where they had, it's basically like roller derby competitions to win. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, we watched, um, yeah, it's the Asian one um, that that John Cameron did um, with the get with the girl's name. Uh, I don't remember it offhand. Uh, so, so, but like, it was supposed to be another big. They're um, they're that's very transhuman, and they keep upgrading the mm-hmm. the parts of the robot, you know, and and yet. Or they up, they upgrade parts of their bodies with robotic te- technology, right? Because there's this desire to do more, and and yet these movies, these dystopian movies, always sort of come back to like true humanity is where is where it's at. Mm-hmm. Um. So. Anyway, um, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, maybe it wasn't John Cameron. It's it's the guy who did. Um, I gotta look it up. Keep talking. Okay. It's the guy who did Avatar, uh, which uh, was a terrible movie, but also going for transhumanism. I oh, I'm just I'm look I'm googling it right now. You guys, I might have to snag your parents' Paramount Plus. Halo is a new series coming out. I might have to watch that. <laughs> um. So, I'm trying to remember what else I loved about the interview with being the you're only human. But again, like. Um, Welch says at the beginning of the chapter that I read about shame, we tend, we tend to think of our limits in categories of sin rather than in categories of our createdness. 
And I appreciate having boundaries drawn and saying, you are only, you're, you're only human as the title of this book says. And a way that I'm practically applying that and genuinely very much wrestling with right now, Mm. to be honest, JR, today is our kids' last class in this Audubon session and they're taking a week off and then there's a new nine, eight or nine week session that will start and basically go to the end of May. And I hadn't signed the kids up for it initially because we were thinking we would be on a two or three week trip in the van in May and we would miss, we'll miss one for our time in Hawaii and then we'll miss, we would miss a couple in May. And instead we're not doing that because gas in the van, diesel in the van is $5 a gallon and we we might buzz around I mean, Montana. Let's not, let's not throw it out the window yet. Well, yeah, I mean, we're not, we're not going to be in Florida or at the Grand Canyon with our kids for a couple weeks at a time in May. That'd be awesome. Anyway, I, I'm tired of running kids around. I just, and without, we don't. Like, we got judo, but it's we not do. like some well, families we know. I'm still They're feeling crazy. some of the tail effect of skiing every Saturday and kind of the breathless, doing all of the prep food for famished kids who've been skiing all day. And that didn't, Saturdays didn't give me then a day to re- reset. And it really, it having the class does force me to have to get all of the school done in a compressed amount of time because I can't. Mm-hmm. Did, you know, say, okay, we'll, we'll finish this up after lunch because after lunch we're getting ready to go off to our class and I have to have dinner ready before we take them to the class because by the time I get home, we literally have to eat dinner and throw on judo geese and usually they need some sort of snack afterwards. Anyway, to me, Thursdays feel a bit breathless. And reading this book, I'm thinking... I'm only human. It's okay for me to not sign my kids up for this other class, even though one kid loves it, one kid is on the fence, and one kid doesn't want to do another session. So they're no help here. But I'm genuinely debating, do I sign them up for another session? Because it does augment our school. I love the program. The kids, more even the one who says they don't want to finish it out, they would love every single class if they did go. And so I'm just really struggling with, do I sign them back up for these pros on this side of the ledger? Do I not sign them up for these cons on this side of the ledger, which mostly has to do with me and my stress level? And listening to his podcast and hearing you're only human and that's that's okay makes me feel like, you know, I'm not going to ruin my kids by recognizing that I would like to have a break less hectic Thursdays yeah. for to finish out the school right. year. So So on the note of transhumanism not being only human, uh, it was James Cameron. I had IMDB'd the wrong James Cameron. Apparently there's two. Um, the movie <laughs> benefit for the second James Cameron. The movie maybe. was Alita Battle Angel. Alita. That's Alita what it Battle was. Angel. You know, I'm actually reading a, a really interesting not interesting, you know. I like a lot of uh, science fiction and fantasy, and there's a sci-fi series I'm, I'm listening to right now where, um, where it is very again, it's very it's based on tech, the power. It's less transhumanism and more like sci-fi because it's different alien species are having a war with each other, and they co-opt uh, other species to do their dirty work. But it's all ranked by how advanced in technology they are. And humans are like at the bottom, you know, Hmm. so 
it's just it's kind of a fun uh it's kind of a fun story but yeah no i mean transhumanism by itself could we could go on for probably an hour about that but we we could probably go on for longer than that yeah. I have one more thing to say. Okay, because we're, we're gonna... running out of time before I know we that. go up and do the dinner I thing. just want to... So one more book that's in my stack that I brought down. JR found this book sitting on my parents' uh, counter the other day. And yeah, somebody it's also on it my list to read. I may just buy them. the audiobook, though. I think you would probably love the audiobook. It's called Cork Dork by Bianca Bosker. It's a wine-fueled adventure among the obsessive sommeliers, big bottle hunters, and rogue scientists who taught me to live for taste. And so I picked it up and started reading it. It's very much along the lines. My brother went through a phase of sharing books with me, like Salt and the History of the World in Six Glasses, and Heat, which is great. Also, that that's a great book. Heat, also about Mario Batali, is fantastic. It actually that book has changed the way I think about food in a lot of ways. But this book is very much along the lines of that. It's, she's a journalist who goes into, deeply enters the world of sommeliers in New York City. And, but what, I, I'm describing this paragraph to Jar, and he's like, oh, I see where you're going with this. You're going to do a supper of the lamb link. And it's true. I was, but I haven't gotten there quite yet. But she... She to just explain the premise of it to you guys, and then maybe I'll turn it into a one-sided book club as I work my way gradually through it when I'm not reading heavier stuff. She was a technology reporter, and she's you know so so this this segues to the discussion of transhumanism because it it's almost more like a uh, the movie Wall-E where all these people are living these these fat lazy lives and they've completely lost touch with what it means to be human they're so lazy they can't even walk anymore but she's she's a tech reporter and she says i can't find the page i should have bookmarked it she says i literally assigned someone once to write a story about how to take a vacation using google earth she's like imagine how how lame it is now thinking about it to try to enjoy a, vac- a tropical vacation by looking at pictures of beaches <laughs> on your computer screen. But she says, my life prior to <clears throat> pouring myself into this experience that resulted in the book was entirely mediated by screens. And now she's discovering how much wine people have to rely and hone their senses. She said she had to give up hot drinks, she had to give up perfume and scented soaps and caffeine and all of these different things and work on being able to live a life that was incredibly in touch with her senses, particularly of smell and of taste. And even, she says most people can't differentiate between smell and taste as senses because they're so closely linked but a good wine person has to differ has to learn to differentiate when you drink wine when you drink a sip of wine what of what of your experiencing of it is your sense of smell and what are you experiencing that's your sense of taste and she says there's way more than the five taste profiles you know sweet salty savory umami and bitter she says there's actually way more than those in terms of flavor profiles that you have to start learning to differentiate. And so anyway, I 
I love, I, I think it'll be a super interesting book, but for sure, things that give us sensory experiences uh, put us in touch with our humanity in a way that if you listen to, like, there's this guy, I can't remember his first name now. I think his name is Christian Gonzalez. I, he's a doctor. I follow him on Instagram. And he's very new agey. And you ground, you you touch the earth with your bare feet every day because of the vibrations coming from the earth. And you meditate and you do all these things because of what it does for your body and harmonizes your soul with the earth. And there's he's actually tapping into something in a in a wrong way yeah there's something upstairs he's tapping into something though that's very true and real which is that we lose a part of ourselves when we're not in touch with our humanity and when we're not literally in touch like Mm -hmm. using our senses in a way that helps us experience the fullness of our createdness and the created world that God made us to be a part of. So that's all I've got for you today. Piles like of it. links that I'll send to you after I finish feeding yeah, the no kids dinner. Kidding. Piles and piles and piles. I'm not going to get the show posted till after judo tonight, so that's going to be okay. Um, all right, cool. Well, if you guys want to interact with us regarding the content of the show or just in general, one of the links in the show notes will be the Too Busy to Flush Telegram group. There's an app called Telegram. It's secure. We're not going to get kicked off. Um, speaking of which, you see Babylon B got kicked off of Twitter today? Yes. Yeah, they got canned and so did their editor. Um, you know, we won't get kicked off um, Telegram. So... Uh, you can join the link, uh, join us in the group on the link in the show notes, and all the other links will be the books and articles Molly has. Articles? Did you mention? You didn't make any articles. Just the books Molly mentioned. Um, if you'd also like, if you don't want to join the group, but you want to send us a message anyway, you can do so on our website, www.toobusytoflush.com. There is a postcard feature. Scroll down the page and use that little thing. You can also send us an email if you like. TB, the number 2F tb2f at pm.me that's papamike.me for anything else um, we hope you guys enjoy the show and yep oh it? I was just say we also respond to Instagram comments I do we've Molly gotten does. a couple this week I'm, I'm not really on Instagram but you can follow us on Instagram at too busy to flush all grammatically correct so that said um, glad we got the show out this week um we will hopefully see you guys uh, online off the show and have a great week. Yep. 